Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. Absolutely stunning Seal Cove, Maine. I'm at the Alcyon Center, and I am with my friend, Reverend Andy Stinson, who is coming at us from, I'm sure it's lovely, but not as lovely, Fall River, Massachusetts. Indeed. We are here for book club number, I don't know what, but we're going to be talking about this rather remarkable book. The Religion of the Apostles, Orthodox Christianity in the First Century by Stephen D. Young. And I should say, Andy turned me on to this, that, you know, because it didn't have any name recognition for me, and I think of myself as someone versed in orthodoxy, I probably had a little attitude. <laughs> and then I read the book, and I was just... Uh, surprised by one thing after another so just for the record andy is a is a minister in a ucc church with national association church but thank you very much so oh jesus sorry <laughs> That's, that was bad um so. congregational church and has two master's degrees one in swedenborgian uh theology and the other in divinity, and I have a master's degree in theological studies. So we're not, you know, we're fairly versed in this. So that I was so surprised that much really, really kind of blew me away. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, um, you know, the, I mean, I think for, you know, one of the beauties of the book that, uh, De, you know, DeYoung does so well, who, you know, he's a he's an Orthodox priest and he is uh, fairly published anyway, but also runs a they're part of a podcast called Lord of Spirits, which is really where he's he's gotten a lot of traction. But the whole the way in which uh, the the continuity of connection between the divine of, you know, prior to 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 human record to here and now and today uh it's just so like you know it's it's you know you can like it you can disagree with it you can all that but it is it, it is bulletproof in terms of how it's understanding of the continuity of god's work and god's witness and the divine's operation in the world and how all of the you know the the angels and archangels and demons and all are ordered within that um and that's a, I mean, you know, that's a heck of a truth claim in 2021. You know, that's a just that alone to be able to stand in that place and say, oh yeah, from before the beginning of time to you know this moment right now, this is how it all works. Uh, I mean, that's and which is really what he what he does and in, in placing it, I think, you know, in play talking about the origin the the religion of the apostles at you know, the, the time of the apostles and what they understood and what they didn't understand and, and all that. And then how that filters into what we know now, it's this just really interesting way of like, okay, it's not now, but it's also not the ancient. So there's, it's a really neat tactic of, of being able to then see the, the connected line that goes beyond between the two. And that, that, you know, that blew me away. Like, I mean, and I, you know, cause again, I'm not unversed in this stuff and I'm, I've really, um, uh, but, but the the way in which it it creates this this uh, you know ironclad record of you know it's been said about you know the that the power of the religious life or the power of religion or the power of tradition whatever you want to however you want to frame that is that it tells us where we are where we come from and where we're going 
it, it navigates us in time. It places us in time and space. And so that we can then have the experience of being in time and space. Um, and then, I mean, this, what the religion of the apostles does, it does it better than most anything I've ever read, I think, in some ways, you know? Oh, yeah. It fires the imagination like, holy shit, this is happening right now. Right. Right. You, you pick up this book and you think it might be kind of sort of a dry tome about history. And yet, and you may even think that about the Orthodox religion. And yet you put it down and you're like, Wow, you know, right. I, I just got replaced in the narrative. Um, right. So he he does this thing that you know one of the main things in the book is he's saying <clears throat> he's saying this is the uh, second temple period that what he's looking at of Judaism and relating it to the apostles, and so that's roughly five fifteen BC to the destruction of the temple in seventy AD. And he's doing something kind of right out of the gate saying this Judaism is um, lives on in orthodoxy, even as it has been eclipsed by modern rabbinic. I had never, never really heard that. I mean, I knew that there was a difference between modern rabbinic and back then. But he makes the point that it's a it's uh rabbinic judaism is a in some sense a deliberate rejection of the elements that got incorporated into christianity yes and that's and i and i think that's a very like i mean he, he alludes to this at the beginning of the book like that's a really new truth claim like that's within decades old of the research that's been going on is you know i mean i was taught in seminary and you read the old kind of the old histories that yeah, that this, you know, second temple period, you know, gives way, gives birth to Christianity and that these are this, there, there is this continuous line that happens, but it's, but it's, but, and that, and that somehow that, you know, that, that the, the, the Jewish tradition just continues on in that, but a little different, but his, he, he's not making that claim at all. He's saying that actually the rabbinic tradition is a direct and, uh, rejection almost of the second temple period and, and all of this that uh, that is grounded in it. And that's, that is, I mean, that's mind blowing. Like that's really because, because now you're like everything we thought we knew about, you know, the, the folks down the street in terms of their worship, you know, and I say the folks down the street, because here in fall river, the synagogue's right up the street. And, you know, everything we thought we knew about that in terms of our relationship and all that, it, very different. And, and when he says it, there is this great, aha moment for me who are you know are in the practice of of keeping you know keeping the festivals and christmas and easter and all the things that we do and the celebration of our worship life and worship year here it there there you know there is a difference but i've never been able to articulate kind of how that works and this is like and he he comes right out of the gate and claims this makes this extraordinary claim which which change i mean really does kind of change everything in a way of what we thought we because because it places Christianity and the Christian tradition in a different line. You know, it's like, it's like having different parents than you thought you had, um, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he also, <clears throat> I'm sure he knows that he's going to, that it's provocative, but he also cites scholars that essentially agree with this coming from a variety of backgrounds, not merely Orthodox, but also right. even Jewish. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the the next thing that really blew my mind was he'll use the term binatarian later in the book, but what he really says is the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is actually an organic evolution out of the Second Temple understanding of God, it is. and he's really coming back and citing scripture again and again, a lot of Isaiah, I believe, yep. of the angel of the Lord. Yep. And yeah, so, it's, it's. So. I mean, that, again, that is just, um, you know, I mean, the, while, you know, it, I say it's earth shattering, it's, it's not in some ways, but, um, but it is, uh, um, but to spend the time on it that he spends on it to make that, as to bring it forward and as explicit as he does, um, you know, uh, it, it, 
you know, I, I mean, I'm doing a Bible study here in the book of James, and it almost makes me want to pivot a little bit how I'm coming at that Bible study because of the this because of this understanding of no, we they understood there was the movement of the spirit. I mean, that would we have that at creation. We understood there was there, there is you know, Jehovah God, Yahweh. They understood there's this spirit that of the you know, the, the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night, they understood, they understood these. And then they understood the engagement of the angel of the Lord, whether it's the Oaks at Mamre or whether, I mean, there's, there's this, there's this way it was like, it's like, you know, and uh, that you, and you, I've, you know, when he makes his case and like, well, of course there is like, I mean, of course there is, you know, I mean, it's, it's it becomes obvious, but um, you know, so you never, I, I mean, yeah, we were so, Right. The, and the Protestant traditions. Right. And the Protestant tradition, you know, it's like, I mean, one of the one of the, one of the problems that I've always discovered over years of coming out of the Protestant tradition is that you're always the little brother that's trying to differentiate yourself from the family a little too hard. You know, like you're always trying to push back against. And so there's this rejection of stuff that you don't need to reject. And there's this and there's this pushing on stuff that is. You, know, you don't need to push on, but, but, you know, you want to like, I'm the one who wears the black t-shirts and I'm the bad boy or whatever, you know, you've, you're trying so hard to differentiate yourself that you're, that, that there's this way in which um, you you lose, uh, you lose some of the, you lose the richness of your, of the tradition that has been uh, handed you. And I, I think, you know, that that's never been brought like, you know, you know, my theological stuff that was never really brought to the fore. I, you know, one of the, um, you know, for me, I have a real, like, you know, I have a wonky Christology around this personally. So I, you know, and, and, um, you know, where, so there's this, uh, so there's all this kind of questioning around. Uh, so I don't know how much I hold up to this, but I do hold up to the fact that there are these, there, there clearly are all of the seeds of the Trinity that would come forward in, you know, out of the, out of the, the great, um, out of Nicaea and all that, that, you know, that, that, uh, that was, you know, the, the entire tradition was pregnant with it. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. And, and so what, what to be just to bring a little clarity to it, uh, <clears throat> he's saying that um, this angel of the Lord is both distinct from God and identified with God in that very, Trinitarian sense. So right. I'm on page uh, 20 where he says the first explicit reference to the word of the Lord in the scripture comes in Genesis 15:1. The word of Yahweh appeared to Abram in a vision, literally in a seeing in the Hebrew. Abram saw something or someone who told him to not be afraid because I am your shield. Abram understood the figure encountered to be the Lord Yahweh and pointed out that he had no heir to inherit the blessings God had given him. The word then responded to Abram's difficulty with the promise of a son. And so you, you just see this um, uh, in kingdoms, in one kingdoms, or one Samuel 3, 1, the situation was so dire that the word of Yahweh was rare. Um, people did not see the word of the Lord. You know, so there's this presencing and absencing of this being the word depending on fidelity of the right right and and i you know i i um well you have two things one you know i i'm i i really appreciate in this you know that conversation of that when it you know, that there and and where he taught where he he starts that by by defining the this idea of a body of homeosis which is the what they come you know later and i see it it's called the three persons of the trinity when you, you say person you mean homeosis so there and that there are these there are the in this whole definition of bodies that he gives to this that i think changes gosh it changes a lot of the trinitarian stuff i encountered uh, you know in in protestant land um around you know that these three separate persons and these and you know uh and all the ways that that this gets worked with in in the roman church uh, you know with that the protestant church then becomes the 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 but the uh inheritors of but the, the this orthodox idea that that no there are just different 
and and not you know again not to turn into modalism or different forms or different but there are these expressions there are these bodies there are these ways in which the divine takes form and root and being in the world that are that are truly distinct and yet truly whole and yet truly and and that uh and 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 so defining that to go going right back to the root of this of the homeosis kind of idea is was uh, that was super helpful for me because it was like oh okay I get that we're, we're onto, we're onto something, you know, that is that, because that again, like you, it goes right back to the, right back to the very beginning of Genesis, right back to the beginning of this, of, of um, this part you read out of, out of there. And, um, and, and the, the other thing that's related to that is, you know, that, that second paragraph that you read where he's talking about where they're talking about that the, the word of the Lord was, uh, you know, was, was not, uh, was, was rare as indicated by the lack of visions, you know, and that the way that they, that, that, uh, and, and he does this again and again, the way he, he really does set up different ages of humanity in terms of, and this is a big part of my understanding is that, that there are different ages, you know, and, and I think, you know, if we go to, and if we go to like some of our modern apologists, we can see this at work. Like you read Tolkien or you read Lewis or you read some of these guys that, you know, they're, they're kind of hearkening back to a magical age. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. Like, I mean, it, or, or no, rather yes and no. There, there was this magical age and we continue to live in this magical age and yet we are we are blind to it or and we've changed our and our rationality has changed and our thought has changed and thus our access to it has changed That's and right. so that we don't see it as such but they see it in the such a way that it, and so they lived in connection with spirits they lived in connection with the 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 angelic in ways that they understood they lived in connection with it and we like oh i had a weird dream last night well, we'll tell yeah, me what, that yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you think like That's... we don't we we don't frame it like oh gosh i must have had an extra burrito or something you know like we we frame it in all these you know organic ways or bright where you know as my phrase i like to use is you know we're poisoned by rationality like you know, rationality is, you know, too much of anything is great. And we're, you know, we, we live in an age that's just poisoned by it, you know, that, that we have so much of it, we can't, you know, it, it, it infects and destroys every other system of our being. And so, um, you know, and, and so they're talking about this, this, you know, this, you know, 5,000 year old age, whatever it is that we're, you're harkening back to the point where, when, when they finally get around to writing down, um, you know, Genesis uh, and, and they're saying, oh yeah, no, we, they're right there. And that hasn't changed. We've changed in relationship to it. That's it. So another way of looking at that is there's a um, there's a explicit spirituality from the get go in the sense that right. these experiences that. Yeah. meant to have these experiences as being made in the image of God. However, whether or not you have these experiences is a function of, of something you're doing or not doing. Right. And that's really, really quite wild. Um, <clears throat> so another thing that he's really adamant about, and you see, in a, before I read this book, I would have interpreted this almost in a really Greek kind of way. But he says, Yahweh has no need of anything that we have. Right. Or anything that we can do. So this is not like a pagan deity who is sort of implied lack in the deity that requires our sacrifice. Right. Um, and, and is trying to imitate something that the, that the pagan deity is trying, is, is, is claim is trying to imitate the, the, you know, is, is doing what they're doing is trying to gain the influence that they're gaining because they're kind of imitating Yahweh God. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to get the, the children of earth oh. to worship them versus to worship to worship you you know they're that they're yes. they're that's you know that it's not even that that, that yahweh has all the all the stuff and they're just trying to steal some of the stuff in order to they're trying to imitate what is going on that i mean it's even it's even deeper than that sorry to interrupt but it you know no no that is i was thinking where i was going with it was it was stunning for me when he was saying therefore the sacrifice in the inner in the second temple period was to actually make the human worthy 
to be in the presence of the deity. Right. That was really just stunning. Right. That you do not want to be in the presence of this thing if you are not right. cleansed and prepared. Right. Exactly. That's that, and that speaks very much to, you know, we're at a point where I had wild dreams because I ate. Um, we're not even right we're not well, first of all they're not spiritual visions they're the result of biology they may be right. weird but we're also making no correlation as to why this person has them and that person doesn't right in fact we may even pathologize the person who's happy yep absolutely and how like and what you get out of the gate from i mean you just interpret out of the gate and they say uh, you know and he says you know numerous times how dangerous that is in this world you know, how dangerous it is to be dealing with these principalities, to be dealing with these spirits, to be dealing, to be encountering these other entities that have, you know, that know and want things from you and that are, are engaged in this, in, in your, you know, and, you know, like it's the, you know, the old phrase, like, you know, you might not care about politics, but politics cares about you. You know, it's like, well, you, you know, these entities might, you know, you know, might not care about them. You might not believe in them, but they believe in you and they care about, you know, and that, and that, you know, and then that kind of bleeds into the whole spiritual warfare idea, which is, you know, you know, um, you know, which is there, you know, which the uh, young is big on, but it's really much, you know, it doesn't, I don't think he gets into as, as much here, but it sets up all that framework of how, you know, how we're, you know, we're driving without the headlights on in so many different ways of the world and the world as it is, is I think would be their contention. Yeah. And even, and then when he starts getting into the discussion of evil, it's interesting because the, the history, the periods of man, there was a period where Satan did have dominion over the world but that is no longer the case. And now the only thing that Satan has dominion over is the realm of death. Right. And that was one of those moments. So therefore, yeah. Satan cannot be creative. Right. He can only be destructive. The, the, right. Who, who said that? Like the only generativity that Satan has is to, is death. You know, the, and then there is a generativity in death and the idea of that you can take something down to, you know, but you can only, you know, like there's, you know, it's fun to watch a building burn kind of thing, but that's, oh, that's it. Like, that's the only, you know, right. which you're right. Like that's a, that's huge. That's huge. It's totally huge. And it makes you, it's one of those points in the book where you're suddenly like, you know, especially if you're kind of, uh, I don't know if you're traditional or if you're into conspiracy theory or any, any of these different avenues, or you're just sort of uh, appalled at contemporary culture, you see that so much of it is indeed a culture of death. Right. Whether this is entertainment or war economy or uh, sadomasochism or... Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, and... and um, you know, can we talk about giants yet? Because I want to talk about giants. So no, we're going to talk <laughs> about giants, people. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's it's one of the best things out of, um, you know, I, I I mean, I at least for me, I you know this this uh, um, you know they're reclaiming of the 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 reality of giants and that that the importance of giants that it's not just kind of this throwaway story in David and Goliath, but this, this, the, and that, and that, you know, this, how giants get created, this intersection between demons and humanity. And, um, and that, that they, they are really this, this, these, this intersection that happens that, that gives birth to the, you know, a fleshly being that, that then can uh, operate in the world and do things and, and create, you know, uh, um, you know, can create principalities that, that we then fall into again, that imitating idea of, you know, of Yahweh, like, they, you know, like I can't set up, you know, I don't have the power to, I can't make my own dirt, but I can move this dirt around and I can create this. And, and, um, you know, and it's so compelling about how every culture has this ritual of how you create giants. Every culture has it, you know, not, you know, 
from there, you know, no, you know, there's from Asia, from Mesoamerica to, you know, the, the idea that this spread somewhere outside, you know, you know, like, oh, you know, they came up with it somewhere and then it leaked out around the world is just, it's nearly impossible as pervasive as, you know, this ritual is and, and all of that and, and how that, that that's really continues to be what we're boxing with today. We're continue to be boxing with this, with these principalities that have been set up by these, uh, you know, by these entities, by this, by these things, you know, that um, uh, so maybe we should break down what the actual narrative is in the book and coming out of Genesis. Okay. Just for the sake of the audience. So you've got, um, so you've got the, let me just, um, so in, in the ancient world, the, so you, are you talking about like how you make a, how you make a, how you make no, a giant? I'm just talking or? about how, why are we, why, what, what, the giants in the Bible, how did, what is this, what's this story? Oh, the story so, of the Nephilim? Yeah. So how did the Nephilim come about? The sons of men. Right. So in, yeah. Coins had union with with so yeah so it's it's here in page 90 so in recent times the rediscovery of the original ancient text genesis 6 1 through 4 has led to fascination with the subject of the nephilim who were born of sexual immorality involving angelic beings and human women in some quarters this has developed into full-fledged conspiracy theories and regarding these nephilim still existing in the world today and they don't go that far but they do but they um and so that's and that's so that's really the nugget of it is that that um, that you have the essentially the, the either the the third of the angels that are that are cast out that are in rebellion to God uh, find their way to this ritual or or give to humanity this ritual that allows them to take on kind of a human form but that human form really ends up being in this in the form of a giant so it's not really a human form it's this it's this you know um uh, uh aberration this kind of and the, but it allows them to become the you know the this series of god kings um that you find throughout the old testament you find you know the uh, you know the one they they that's well documented there they talk about the bed of og and they um and how the bed of og is the place that this these rituals happen and that and that in that in and that they are you know that it is really a bed built for a 15 foot person so that there's this so that there's this way and that which um you know and and you know they're not wrong and uh you know saying like you know he, he kind of alludes to how kind of crazy the whole nephilim thing is from the ancient aliens to all that but but to kind of and, and he does a great job i think of reeling it all back in and saying Look, this is the significance of it in the biblical story. Like, this is the significance of it because they they really do become the ones that set up the different principalities, the different the different ways of being. If you think about principalities, like these ways of being that will lead us to demonic places, that will lead us to that are that lead us to death, that lead us to destruction, that take us to hell, that take us to these these places that that they're the ones that kind of laid down the tracks for this, that we're, that we're, you know, they're the ones that, that blazed the path for humanity to fall into. And so, you know, when we talk about a Molech or we talk about a, a Baal worshiper, we talk about, or we talk about Og, um, we talk the, um, you know, and, and they, you know, and they go so far as to say that the, you know, the, the, that's what, that's what, Christ was encountering and the early Christians were encountering when they came into the ancient world and went to Rome and saw the, that they were, they were encountering these, these beings, you know, or they went to, or when the ancients went to Egypt, they were encountering these giant Kings who. Oh yeah. And, and had, Israel herself, when she came to her land, they had to. Right. With these right. And that, you know, there's the right, right, the direct idea out of the land of giant, you know, they, they looked into the world and it was full of giants and it's, you know, you know, and, and it's so funny in my, you know, like just think about my education about, you know, studying that and how, you know, that got, you know, I mean, we would metaphorize, we would, you know, spiritualize, we would anything that, but to contend with the fact that, 
oh, maybe the maybe the text actually says what it means. You know, maybe there were really big people and they were scared of really big people who were doing who were out there with cults of violence and cults of death. And it's like, I will not go there. Like, that looks bad. You know, well, I mean, even if that, even if that, you do want to just, you know, let let the mythologizing tendency have its way. It is kind of wild that you see this with the Cyclops and right. you see this amongst Native Americans and the yep. Iroquois. You yep. know, there was this giant demon who was savaging the people. And we had this, you know, the whole Hiawatha story, I think. Right. Precisely. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, as are the, you know, as are the Mesoamerican stories of, of you know, uh, um, uh, you know, Quetzalcoatl and all that, like the, the one, you know, the, the, these these giants that come to Earth that that are that demand human sacrifice, you know, that they're not they're not, you know, they're not, um, you know, and, and all the ways that, uh, um, you know, uh, they talk about. And, and I really liked one of the one of the comments that was about how some of this can be seen, you know, some of the mythology that we have that we understand, whether it's Greek mythology or that is kind of, is, is kind of, uh, you know, uh, pro devil rhetoric, you know, like there's all this, this, this kind of pro, like, you know, you've got the Promethean story and Prometheus goes out and captures fire and isn't that great, but what happens with the fire? Like it burns, like it destroys the world. Like it's, you know, so it's like, Every time humanity, you know, and you think about all the, you know, I thought it was Prometheus who was a Titan too, by the way. Right. Exactly. Right. Who was already in the, right. Already in the, in the, in the panoply of special people. And that's, you know, so, so you're right. The Titan who, you know, I mean, is, is already in that. And it's like, Oh, we're going to give you this, the key, you know, but it's, it's, we're going to give you the keys to the car and you're four years old. Good luck. You know, that, that there's this way of setting humanity up for failure in the, in, in this, you know, and yet, yet it's this, you know, there's this very liberating kind of idea about it, you know, of like, oh, we're going to give you this freedom, but, um, you know, but it's going to destroy you. And which is this, if you look at like the Greek myths, like that's the, that's the constant turn in the Greek myth is like, we're going to give you this thing and it's going to just, you know, this thing that you want and it's going to destroy you. It's like, well, that, if that isn't pretty diabolical, I don't know what is, you know, and that's, but you see that. And, and so their, their claim is that these really were the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Anunnaki, these really were the, the, the Nephilim that had come down and kind of were, were part of the, uh, you know, were, were, were creating havoc for humanity because they were trying to carve out their own little fiefdom in imitation right. to and unlike, Yahweh. And unlike Yahweh, they need right exactly they have to upon, have yep. they need to feast upon human spirit, soul, yep. body in order to thrive. Now, <clears throat> even though the young warned us or pushed it away, um when you get down into some of the more interesting, to me, more uh, plausible conspiracy theory around things like Scientology or MKUltra. Totally. Yeah, that they are about, you know, that the, the, the famous ritual of uh, out in the desert with Ron Hubbard, the, the only people there were humans but they were trying to incarnate a demon right so they were right. trying to bring otherworldly power into the human right and i you know granted there is all this archaeological stuff about giant people but i do think your point about there being these sort of ritual people engage in in order to acquire power and in effect unwittingly yeah. trade themselves and, off and, and not to and not to turn again I, I i i shudder to say this but not to turn you know political but you know go back now and watch the film of obama's inauguration because of the what i'm not and not to say he's a demon that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying you know there was such power around that then and there was such energy around that and to see what was going on I'm, you know again not don't don't give don't hear what i'm not saying but but you watch i mean watch what was being manifested in that watch what was being invited in in that and and you know you can you mean you see these movements in our in you know like these things are alive 
Um, and there's something oh, yeah. else at work in that, you know, that wasn't just, it wasn't just this, you know, human endorphin moment where we all bonded together because our, all of our chemicals started to hit at the same time. There was, you know, there was clearly a third body at work in that, in that, in that energy that was present there. And that's, um, you know, so, you know, I, I, again, oh, yeah, I don't, I mean, don't hear what I'm not you, saying, but just it's oh, the yeah, one I can think of in our most modern sense that, that sure. really typified that, you know, or, or a Nazi rally or Nazi rally. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. It's interesting because somebody, there's some psychologist, French psychologist, Belgian, I think, who's been writing about um, totalitarianism, which, you know, that language is very right. gigantic. And he says the, the, the three factors that really make people um, prime for it. One is uh, what he calls free-floating anxiety. Two is a lack of connection with other humans. And three is a crisis of meaning. And, you know, that doesn't speak to today. Right. You know, so that's another way this this book really speaks. It's like. Right. And if, yeah, if you wanted to. Low hanging fruit for giants. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. For the, the I mean, the, that's the, that's fertile soil for any principality to stick its flag right in the middle of it and say, yeah, you know, Hey, take all that anxiety and turn it into love for me. Like take all that, you know, all that and, and misdirection and go in this direction with me. Yeah. Like, you know, all of that is, you know, and that's, you know, and that's, and the thing is, is like, whether you look at the biblical text or you look at whatever, I mean, that's never Yahweh. Like it, that's never, never does Yahweh never does that. You know, Yahweh is the God who, you know, you know, Elijah goes in and says, okay, you guys, you know, burn, make you, you know, make your fires come and they can't, they, you know, they, and they can't make anything turn fire. And then Yahweh shows up and they, you know, they take his little, little bunch of sticks and they pour water all over it. And it still burns, it burns into flight into flame. Yahweh is the one that, that, you know, that over, that is the, um, that, uh, you know, is so powerful when he shows up, he, you know, all that anxiety goes away. It went, when he's that one that's so powerful, you know, and, and it's what we see in the, in the ministry of Jesus, you know, Jesus shows up and it's like, Oh, okay. Thank goodness. You know, am I, you know, the, the, you know, the blind are healed, the, the blind can see the, the sick are healed, the, you know, the, the, my, you know, my anxiety is quelled. There's this, wholeness um you know in that in that biblical perfect sense of everything's okay you know we're we're all we're all okay together and that's you know and that you see that again and again in yahweh's miracles it's it's the opposite of of the co-opting of of the pagan gods so and so it's a spirituality that is about god making it Showing us, supporting the means and showing us how to be in the presence of God. Right. And um, how to how to pro, how to approach how to how to approach the holy um, safely and with our full selves and with the um, without uh, um, without destruction. You know how to how to how to encounter the divine um, in a way that that uh you know we are well we are glorified we become you know one of the chapters we become sons of glory um you know that that uh um that's the you know that's the that's yahweh's move that's that's the divine's move is that and that and that holy and that the holy is a dangerous thing to approach you know which i really appreciated out of this you know that um you know that that i think you see that with people that that encounter the holy um, and it rocks their world. And without a, without a tradition or a formation or a container, um, it can be hard to contend with. I mean, yeah, you don't know how to work with it and it can quickly be usurped. I think we've lived through that. Or I have. Um, so in a Protestant sense, we're still retaining this, this strong sense of God's initiative, that none of this is going to happen without the divine making the first move towards us. Right. But in a kind of less than not particularly Protestant way, it's also saying, and if your response to that 
requires something of you. Right. Um, which I really, really, really dug. Yeah. And it, and it, it's very much kindred to my, my Swedenborgian background. I mean, that's, you know, Swedenborg lays out that, you know, this idea that there's God's part and there's our part and that, that, you know, that, the reality, if we look behind the scenes, and this is why I can still call myself a Protestant, is that that our part is really this an illusion of our own agency. That God kind of gives us this, you know, what what Swedenborg says is this idea: we as if we we act as if we have a self, you know, as if we are separate from the divine, as if as if we're not a part of creation. But it's what allows us to come into relationship with God is the fact that we we do operate under this very convincing illusion. But but it. But it, that is, and that that is all mediated and cared for and groomed by God. If we, you know, if we let God, you know, that kind of thing of if we we let ourselves be guided, if we let ourselves be disciplined, if we let ourselves be be held, and that's then that's part of the power of the disciplines. You know, I mean, it, it's you know, the Protestants are a little disingenuous in the sense of the, you know they'll say like, oh, it's all grace, but you should come to church, like right. you know, oh, it's all grace, <laughs> but you should pray. Like, yeah. oh, you should, you know, like, oh, it's right. all grace, but no, you should probably, you know, think about who you have sex with. It probably matters, you know, like, like that, you know, like it, it's this very, you know, so it, it's not always, you know, the, you know, and then they, they do these, you know, they've done this traditionally, they do this uh, kind of, I think, I think I'm almost mental gymnastics of, you know, well, we don't keep the, the, we keep, we don't keep the, we keep the moral law, but we don't keep the spiritual law and they make all these divisions and, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's kind of backing into uh, this stuff that, you know, this this hangover from Luther and from Calvin, I think, you know, who all had their functions in their day. Like, I'm not, I don't want to beat on them too badly in terms of what they were up to. Although, you know, these guys certainly, you know, de Young certainly will. Um, but I think, you know, I think they had their function in their day. But I think as we, you know, as we come particularly to this age, which, um, I, I really, I really appreciate DeYoung's effort here in the sense of trying to re, you know, re-mythologize, re-imagine, re-connect ourselves with the world of spirit and, and all that, 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 that means in, in its, in its lived experience every day that they, uh, that, uh, you know, those, those guys who are just trying to negotiate a Roman world that was, you know, kind of wildly corrupt, um, you know, couldn't, didn't and couldn't capture. So, yeah. um, no, there's definitely things thrown out with the baby. No doubt about, or the baby was thrown out. Some, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's this other thing where, uh, you know, I think a critique I've often read about orthodoxy was, that it was in some sense too Greek. Right. And I think that's been historically, I think that's been a Protestant critique of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yet this book is such a huge, this book is such a corrective to that, that I'm almost feeling like it needs more Greek. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the, he, you know, I, I think he doesn't talk about it, but I mean, there's so much of the platonic worldview oh, that is kind yeah. of the, background of this whole thing you know that he's certainly you know i mean he doesn't even i don't think he needs to talk about it because it is there you know um but uh yeah i i i, I mean i i think you're right and but i also think that and it's what i've said for a while like he's not greek he's oca you know he's he's orthodox church of america which is this you know who have been they've been more linked to the russians because the russians were first coming to america in some ways but but they are like, if they can get their, you know, I've often said, if they could get their act together, they would really be a powerful force in the United States because, um, you know, because of the way that, that the Greek Orthodox Church is so tied to the Greek and the Russian Orthodox Church is so tied to the Russians. These, they're beginning to find their voice, I think. And I think we are seeing in some ways, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I'm Protestant. I see everything as a pro, you know, everything is you know, reformation to one degree or another, but I do feel the OCA kind of arrival as, as this uh, really speaking to 
you know, America in the 21st century, whether, you know, and, and you look at the guy, the death of the world guys out on the West coast and, and, you know, um, you know, they, and they certainly, it's not that they don't draw from the, from the orthodox, you know, from their, their, uh, you know, their folks around them, but, um, man, you know, there's, there's, so I think there's a freedom in here about like being a little unplugged from the Greek and being a little unplugged from the Russian and being a little, you know, able to be American in a way that they can have this conversation. And it's one of the things I found, you know, I, I find it really compelling because it's not, you know, I don't have to, you know, learn Greek declensions for, you know, the Psalms or something. So there's, yeah, no, that's right. And then, well, then I, I was thinking about people like you and me too, in relation to this book. So, you know, you have your interest in Swedenborg, and I have my interest in anthroposophy and Rudolf Steiner, and yet we're both on cradle. Um, you know, the Protestant things I identify in myself that's almost like culturally Protestant, can't get past it already, is this um, keeping my own counsel, my own relationship with God, having a primacy. And of course, if you go too far down that road, you really start jettisoning tradition. Sure. Um, but by the same token, the, the thing I dislike about the Protestant is that it really kind of shoes the reality of demons and angels and spiritual beings and the veracity of visions and dreams and all this sort of stuff. And I think that's part of the reason why I am drawn to anthroposophy or Jung and probably you yeah. and Swedenborg. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, but the interesting thing too, though, is, you know, and I I've been, I've thought about this a bunch is that the, you know, the newest, the newest true incarnation of a Protestant movement that has made any headway at all is, you know, the Pentecostal movement, which started in, sure. in, in 1906, so it's, you know, it's, it's just a hundred years old, 110 years old or so, um, you know, you know, has, but is on wildfire, both, you know, here and all over the world. Um, and boy, if there was going to be a corrective to the over-rationalization of the, of the Protestant movement, you know, that would be it. Like, I mean, yep. that, that really, that would be it. And it's, it's, it's so, you know, I'm, I'm struck by, you know, and I, I like, you know, who am I to say like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a legitimate, you know, this is a legitimate expression or this is an illegitimate expression or something like that. It's, I, I think, you know, we're all, we all got to drive the car we want to drive in this thing, but there's this, but I do feel like, you know, they've brought onto the scene, a part of this conversation, you know, front row center, angels and demons, spiritual warfare. I mean, that's their language. That's what they talk about all the time. So my, I have colleagues up the street, you know, here that, you know, that I'm, I, that I like, and that we do cooperative, we do ministry events together and that that's their word. That is, you know, that is they're steeped in that Pentecostal idea. So, you know, I don't think the Lord, you know, maybe, maybe we've given up on us, but Lord hasn't given up on us kind of thing that there's still move these ways of where, but, you know, for me, I, what makes me really the, the kind of hold on to my Protestantism and I don't just want to go, you know, run off and grow a beard and, you know, throw, you know, wave a censor around is that, um, is that, 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 there, you know, the two things of, you know, one from congregationalism and, and Robinson who says, you know, who, you know, when he, he sends the pilgrims off to the, to the new world and he can't go with them, he's too old, but he gives them one final sermon. And in his final sermon, he says, I am convinced there is yet more light to be revealed from the word of God. And that, that notion that every generation we're looking to the new light that is being revealed in the word of God and that, and that we're not, you know, we're, we're not looking backwards, but not to say we're uninformed by the past, but we're looking for this revelation that's coming to us every, each generation. And, and second, it's just this constant, like idea that I keep before me. It's like when somebody makes a truth claim to say, by what authority do you say that, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you, because you have a, do you do it because you have a tall hat or because you have a long beard? By what authority are you making that truth claim? And, and I, you know, and I have no, like, I mean, you know, some of my favorite reading is some of the, is some of the Orthodox saints and stuff like that. And some of the patristic fathers and all those, those guys, but I, you know, I, but I'm going to, you know, but I, I'm never going to let go of that lens of like, how is it that you like, 
by what what's your street cred to be able to make those truth claims and not just because you have a tall hat or a you know or a funny stick like you like like by what uh, you know authority um you know is this is this coming to me and so that's really why i hold on to my you know and i i will continue to hold on to my protestant protestantism but uh, but it but you know it's what's funny is this book has made us have that conversation you know what i mean like i think you know it came up and we didn't plan talking about this but it makes like well why am i doing what i'm doing or why am i holding on to what i'm holding on to uh you know which is always a great sign when you crash into something that's true you know like oh, that yeah. always has to happen when you crash into the true into into some logos and uh you know i'm really indebted to be young for his work in it well you know i'm kind of on the other side of the fence where i'm asking myself why why aren't i <laughs> growing right. the beard yeah right um which is a great question too like i mean it's not yeah yeah i mean so the thing of it is is this by whose authority and you know the tradition will step into the void and try to answer that both in catholicism and the orthodox and to a lesser degree even the anglican tradition but you know when i'm when i'm mucking around in my world of recovery um that individualism is has gone to such an extreme that it's almost like anyone can make a claim to something yeah and you can also see what what happens when there's no explicit or shared criteria of having to judge the claim absolutely um now, of course, we can get all intellectual and say, you'll know them by their fruits and all that. And that may be true, but it's not stopping so many people from making claims that are probably not true and getting, you know, they're, they're giant. Yes. They're yeah. trying to be, yeah. they're getting, they're getting wealth and power off of that. Right. Those claims. Yeah. So there's something about what it really you know i can't even believe this is coming out of my mouth because this a few years ago it never would there's something about kind of how how one stands in relationship to the tradition at least the way de young is presenting it you know there's there's almost um an inevitable humility that yep. comes with um, yeah that absolutely. really that really speaks to me. yeah yeah it, it, it's you know it, it's that whole that whole definition of understanding you know if we're we really want to step into understanding we have to stand under you know we have to submit ourselves to it we have to stand underneath the thing and gaze up at it and and i do believe i mean i think what you're saying is so spot on that you know if you if you were to step into the orthodox tradition and keep the tradition that that if you submit yourself to the tradition and look up at it it will take it, you know it will absolutely take you home i also think that of the of the congregational way but um but i do think that the but in in modernity uh, the power of and the and the forthrightness of the tradition of the Orthodox are is is probably I won't say it's more the tonic we need or whatever, but it's but it is it is it is so I think it's so powerfully speaking to what we need because because we you know the the institutions are so you know they have gotten so uh, degraded that that truth is so subterfuge you know there's so much subterfuge there is so much like head scratching about you know well by what authority how do i figure that out you know that right that there is that that there's a real legitimate to the way of walking out the tradition and that you know um and or, you know, or there's just a contempt for any any discussion or narrative that uses proof of the capital p right I mean, so it's almost right. like you can't even you can't even get purchased to start a, have a conversation. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and uh, yeah, and I, you know, I mean, so it's really interesting that you know, in in this this dystopia we're in, the societal breakdown, there is something very um, platonic in that sense that shows up. Right. 
you know, right. like, okay, this is the consequences of jettisoning the idea of truth entirely. Maybe we should go back to this other conversation. Right. I, at least in the in the web world, you know, or in my little corner of it, I am seeing what looks to be a, an interest in these things beginning to. I mean, I always, you know, it's not necessarily orthodoxy, but it may be Christianity or the Western tradition generally, or I'm especially seeing it with anthroposophy. Um, so who knows? Maybe, right. maybe, maybe our conversation is more timely than we think it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just struck with, you know, like, like the orthopraxy of the orthodox or of anything, you know, just how do we do it? Like the doing of it, um, you know, whether it's, you know, recovery, you know, like, what do I do? Well, you know, might start by going to some meetings, you know, might like, how, or might start by entering, you know, submitting myself to a recovery program. I might start by, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, the same, you know, like, oh, I, I'm interested in the congregational church. Well, come to church, you know, come worship and, you know, be a part of the, be a part of the worship life. And then maybe get, you know, come to a study, do some mission work, you know, uh, you know, learn more about the disciplines, the, the traditional disciplines or, you know, that, that just the way that we, the, the way that these things are done are, uh, you know, um, and, and then the Orthodox is probably, the greatest way, you know what I mean? In terms of like, they are the, you know, like you swing the sensor three times, not four, not two, three, you know, all of like, they're, they're so, you know, they, they have such a strong way that in a world when all the ways are kind of like leaking out of the bottom of the container of society there, there's this way that they, they, they stand, I think, um, you know, particularly, uh, you know, particularly well in that. And I think that, um, you know, because it's been interesting, you know, with me trying to foster those conversations of, you know, like, well, here are some of the disciplines and here are some of the things we can do. And here's some of the things you can do to deepen your spirituality. Here's some of the things you can do to deep, deepen your connection to God and, and all this. And, you know, and they come right out of the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the early, you know, the, the early Puritans or earlier, you know, and they, they're, and so, um, you know, and how there's this kind of lukewarm kind of thing about that. Well, you that's know? right. You know, like the there's this warmness. Yeah. So in Greek, you know, there was a term that you don't see much, but it was associated, I believe, with the sophist called philodoxy. It wasn't a good thing. It meant love of opinion. Yes. And it was contrasted with philosophy, which was love of wisdom. Right. And how love of wisdom became love of opinion, you know, had to do with a couple things, but one was one's relationship to the idea of truth, aletheia, you know, something right. that's disclosed yep. and revealed. And the sophist, you know, Gordon said, you know, he was a total postmodern English professor. <laughs> He said, man is the measure of all things. So he is saying there is no truth and yeah. really your truth and my truth. But yeah, that's yeah. philodoxy. But the, really, I think the question becomes in a way, in order for it to stay love of truth, then the symbolic has to keep carrying the sense of truth in a way right. that it how it lands in you. Right. Otherwise, you're just... Absolutely. Um, and that's probably a conversation for another time, but I think that um, one way the Orthodox would answer that is it has to do with the heart. Right. What is the heart's relation to the symbolic? Yep. Right. And, and it's... We can't, you know, that, that, you know, um, I think it was Iliad that, you know, says, you know, the best things we, we can't talk about, the second best things we talk about and we get wrong. So whenever we open our mouth, we're already talking about the third best things. 
And that the orthodox answer to that is that they, they're about, you know, some things are so true that you just live them out. Like that, that, that you have to, you have to embody them. I mean, again, and this is good young, like you have to incarnate them. You have to, you know, like you want to, you want to know what fatherhood looks like. You want to know what motherhood looks like. You embody, you become one, you know, and try and be one as best you can. And that will, that is a, that is a truth that you can't really even talk about, you know, that is so far beyond. It's it's a mystery. It is right. And it's, and it is, it is right. It's truly, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's deep and it's wide. And, and that's just one of our many human experiences. And, and so, um, you know, and it is one of the things I, I really love about the Orthodox is this idea of, of that, that um, to really live out, to really, you know, this, this, their, their high emphasis on the incarnational into the body, that it's about that you have to, you have to live it out that if you really want to know what's true, you have to live it out and you have to walk it out. And you have to, you know, if you want to know what, you know, what, you know, what spaghetti and marinara sauce takes like, you got to eat spaghetti with marinara sauce. You can't read about it. You can't contemplate it. You can't, you can do all those things. You can study the recipe books, but the experience of the thing is the, is the, the, uh, and the embodying of the thing. Um, and then that's true all the way up to the highest, you know, you want to know what, you want to know what, uh, what it is to be close to God. Well, you know, start out, you know, walk in that way, walk in the way of, of, of Christ, right. you know, walk in that, try which, and walk that out too, that fully imminent has not exhausted the transcendent because you, right. you are, you are embodying it, but you are embodying life in the mystery, right? That there is still something that is, you, you can be in relationship to the beyonds even as you are here, so the 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 every the, the numinosity of the symbols lives because of the sense of mystery is cultivated and remembered, and, and never we never have gotten to the end of something. Yes, never yes. figured it out. That's so good. That it reminds me of um, the guy who wrote uh, Less Than Zero. Um, so uh, it, he would be. I think he's the guy who became a big cocaine dealer in. Uh, in Weymouth, Mass. I think it was hit. They made a movie about it. But he wrote, I, I heard an interview with him and he, he, so he, you know, comes this big cocaine dealer, you know, falls into addiction himself, world blows up, kind of blah, 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 normal story. And he wrote, he, so he writes this memoir about it called Less Than Zero. And he gives this interview and he says, and, and I said, you know, and it, it was, this was decades later. So he says, what, you know, he says, what do you think that was all about? Or something like that. The interviewer says, you know, he says, when I was doing drugs, I was in search of the, you know, the transcendent. I was in search of something that was like bigger and weirder and, and more than, than I, you know, than, than uh, the, you know, the, the weirdness of life that I was in search of this, this liminal place or something, you know, and, and now I'm obviously butchering the quote, but he says, and now I stand at the bus stop and I pick up my girls as they're getting off the bus. And I think this is the weirdest, most bizarre, most, (laughs) most, that it's it's so mind-blowing so more transcendent than anything i ever experienced when i was doing drugs it was mo you know there was no drug that got me to a place that when i could stand and see here are these two little creatures getting off the bus that are excited to see me and how bizarre that is and that you know that they want to tell me all about their day that like just that experience that he was having in that moment and being aware of it you know uh, that you know couldn't you know he expressed that how he none of that could touch what it was like when he was you know that and that's what he was in search of when he was doing drugs you know and i i I was you know and i i think what you said was just the you know like that's it like that's it that there's this there's this transcendence that we're living into and if we can just give you know if we can give ourselves to it um that's you know, it, it will reveal it, itself and it's in, and it's it. all mystery like it's all it is it is crowd i you know i've fought that my whole life i you know that the the, the that that mystery stuff but but it you know but i've really taken it to believe that it just means that you don't know where the bottom is you know it just means that there's more more it doesn't mean that you don't understand what you're seeing it means that you're swimming in the ocean and you can't see the bottom you know yeah. i've had that experience diving and it really is an unnerving experience to look down and not and looking, you know, look 200 feet deep when this in the light shines in and you, you still can't see anything down there. And, and I think that when we talk about mystery, that's what we are talking about. We're talking about that, that nature of that. So, 
That was really, thank you. That was good. That's, that's, I think, oh, yeah, no, just, I think that's well, the heart of this book. I really do. You know, I think he's, I do too. you know, I do it, too. Because he's, he, that's what he's, that's what he's showing in this arc from, you know, from the ancient to the modern and everything in between is, you know, is like, you know, this, this, you know, that you're, you're on the top of an ocean that you're looking down into that has no bottom that you can't see the bottom of. And, and, uh, right. uh yeah. The sad, sad thing is the person who survives cocaine addiction who does not see, does not feel the mystery of reading his kids at the bus stop. Mm, yeah, right. So I guess it's my hope, and I'll say this for the sake of the audience. So Andy and I are going to be doing a series of conversations, um, probably mostly theological, maybe not entirely. Um, but I think my hope is that we'll we'll be able to mine this this shaft quite a bit deeper meaning being the orthodox love it love it too all right well <laughs> round two will be uh in december cool excellent all Good. right to something christmasy thank you. thank you sir all right peace and grace peace and grace Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at resistancerecovery.com.